Hey everybody, it's Devin here. I'm proud to announce that the Witch Power series, my first book series with Llewellyn Worldwide, is now complete. And as if that wasn't awesome enough, I've developed a course for intermediate to advanced practitioners who want to take the material from the books and their Witch Power to a whole new level. And the Witch Power Masterclass, we take the work from the series and expand upon it through additional exercises, reading, audio and video lessons, and ritual. By the time you complete this 52-week course, you will not only have a grasp of what you and your witch power are capable of, but the direction and personal insight necessary to build a life with your magic that you want on your own terms. The Witch Power Masterclass is available only at themysticdreamacademy.com. Use code MODERNWITCH, that's all one word, to get $10 off. Again, that's at themysticdreamacademy.com, and you can use code MODERNWITCH, all one word, to get $10 off. Thanks for listening to the show. I hope you enjoy. What is that? It's a little bag made from the skin of a toad. Doesn't matter. She, she's tampering in dark-sided stuff. Yet in our own supremely rational time, there has been a dramatic rebirth of the ancient arts of witchcraft. You're listening to the Modern Witch Podcast with Devin Hunter. Hey everyone, this is Devin Hunter and you are listening to the Modern Witch Podcast. I'm so excited that you are here today because we have one hell of a show. We've got Joshua Kunkel from The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. Um, we're going to be talking about this next, well, the second part of this season and a little bit about next season. Um, it's really an incredible interview. I'm really excited that you are here. Uh, before we jump in, I wanted to let you know, in case you didn't know already, um, I have a little event company. It's a tiny little thing um, and I'm working with some of my very close friends to put together some outdoor festivals and indoor events that are marketed specifically for our people, for our tribe, and uh, I'm really excited. So uh, this this little company is called Sabbath Entertainment, um, and once again, it is an event company that is founded by witches, for witches. Uh, we've got two events on the calendar this year. The first one is called the Earth Warriors Retreat, and that is going to be in Hocking Hills, Ohio. We're going to Appalachia. We're going to learn to work with the local spirits there, and we're going to be working with some Kundalini Reiki. It's going to be kind of incredible. Um, I hope to see you there. Registration is open now. And then in September, we have a family-friendly event because that first event is a 21 and up event. Um, the second event, which is called Pagan Fires, is also in Ohio. It's in kind of this beautiful, beautiful setting. Um, I've been going to this campsite for years, and I'm really excited to be bringing Laura Tempest Zakroff and Jackie Smith um, as our keynote speaker and our lead ritual. We've also have Nathaniel Johnstone and, of course, Frenchie and the Punk are going to be there. So we've got one heck of a of a whole ensemble going on with this event, and I, I'm just excited that uh, we get to do it. So if you're interested in attending any of these events, and I hope that you are, um, because they are the well, registration's open, and uh, we're looking forward to getting as many people as we can in these seats because uh, at each event is also raising money for a a nonprofit organization. So we're not associated with these, but we're giving a portion of our proceeds for each ticket to a specific not or you know non-for-profit um, company, and and it's really exciting. So I know we were giving to the Seventh Generation Fund for Indigenous Peoples. That's going to be amazing, um, and they are doing all kinds of incredible work with uh, water preservation and water conservation. Uh, it's really exciting. We're also going to be giving to the Conservatory of Ohio. Um, giving back to these organizations that are actually doing the things that we support as pagan people, as witchy people. Um, and I'm excited. So if you're interested in hanging out with some really cool folks, if you're interested in really good music and you want to maybe meet me in person, maybe meet Storm in person, this is the thing to do. This is this is what you should check out. So go to sabbatentertainment.com and you can find out all the information that you could possibly ever want to know about these two events that are happening this year. And uh, of course, we've got more events that are scheduled for the years to come. So I'm really excited about that. 
But for now, we have an interview with the very impressive Joshua Kunkel. Um, he has written on shows like Lemony Snicket's A Series of Unfortunate Events, um, and he uh, did some did some on on stage production. I mean, he's kind of done a little bit of everything, and now he's taken all of his mastery and all of his interest, and he's pouring it into uh, this incredible show that we're all just falling in love with: The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. It is your favorite show. It is my favorite show, and um, and just a few days we're actually going to get the part two for the first season and uh, we already know it's renewed for more seasons to come we know that sabrina is kind of the most kick-ass witch on tv right now and this is one of the people behind um the show he, he is behind the the character of sabrina and uh, her family and her crazy friends and i'm just so excited to have him here on the show um so i guess without further ado let's take a listen to this special interview this exclusive interview interview with Joshua Kunkel about the chilling adventures of Sabrina right here on the Modern Witch Podcast. something interesting will happen. Um, Great. So, <laughs> uh, so again, you know, thank you for coming on the show. I, I have so many questions because, I, well, we've already been through a season of, of the Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, and we're about to jump into a new season. Um, in fact, when this show drops, it will be like the week of. So you have like so many fan theories that I'm going to make you answer about, like so many things. We're going to get into it. <laughs> um, so, but before we do all that, I, I like to, everybody who comes on the show, I like to have them frame what witchcraft is for them because witchcraft is so different for everybody and different cultures. And we all have our own connection to it. And as somebody who is a writer um, and somebody who is a tarot practitioner and somebody who's been doing this for a while, how would you describe your personal witchcraft? Sure. Well, uh, witchcraft to me is a craft. The important part is the craft. And uh, it's a spiritual craft, but a craft nonetheless. And uh, I suppose I would say that witchcraft is the practice of channeling one's uh, will into handcrafts, uh, spoken word, ritual, song, um, in the hopes that that will, will manifest itself in the world. And, and personally, um, I'm from Kentucky originally, so my practice is rooted in uh, Appalachian folk magic or granny magic uh, or kitchen magic, whatever you want to call it, uh, but kind of zhuzhed up for California because, of course, practice you practice locally. Um, yeah, that's kind of where I am right now. I also don't worship any uh, deities. Uh, my, my practice is a religious, um, but I do keep an ancestor altar in my house. And that's where I do the bulk of my work. How does witchcraft and writing, how do they intersect for you? Because, you know, the very first thing you said was witchcraft is is a craft. And I know, you know, as a nonfiction writer, um, I, I look at it, my, my writing practice has a craft. I know every writer pretty much does. So how do those two crafts intersect for you? Well, I guess they're similar in that they're both uh, a practice that, you know, it's like a muscle that you have to exercise. They intersect for me in really weird ways. Um, first of all, I used witchcraft to get the job on Sabrina in the first place. But uh, also, you know, um, meditation is a big part of the, of both practices on a show like Sabrina, they certainly inform one another. Uh, I don't know. It's something that's something that I'm thinking about a lot and trying to figure out as I go. Um, but it, it has been interesting for sure. The show I wrote on before Sabrina was um, a series of unfortunate events on Netflix as well. And so, it, you know, I haven't had the experience of being a practicing witch on a show about witchcraft before. Um, and I don't know if I ever will again. So I'm sort of navigating it as I go along. And it's really tricky. It's wonderful and a gift, of course. And I'm glad to be doing it. But it is it is tricky and interesting. 
one of the things that I'm constantly talking about with my clients and with my students and people who are listening to the show is this idea that, you know, we have uh, we have this this uh, this ability, whatever you want to call it. We have this thing that we do as witches and we often don't think of it as a vehicle to, you know, or towards the direction of achieving things that we want for ourselves in our life, whether it's the the dream job or it's the dream house or or any of those things. And that's not to say that that should be the only point, but it is to say that, hey, you have this tool and you should use it to make your life better. I find that so odd, though, because if witchcraft's not about that, then what is it for? You know what I mean? I, I just don't understand if, if if you don't want to make your will manifest in this earthly plane, then I don't know what else witchcraft is for, to be honest. Right. And I think that's why a lot of people get burnt out and then they just kind of, you know, take that step back because it stops fulfilling them. I mean, how could it? Right. Um, so, OK, so you are uh, you're a witch and, and you are so this is pre Sabrina. So here you are. You are a writer. You're uh, you've you wrote for the stage and now you're writing for the screen and you hear I, I, you hear about Sabrina. You hear that this thing is happening. How did you end up getting the job working on this show? Oof. Okay. Well, I uh, was living in New York for 15 years. I was a playwright primarily, and I got my first TV job with a series of unfortunate events, and I was writing that remotely from New York. At the same time, I was in an emotionally abusive relationship, and I had sort of been broken down in every which way. And I... uh, found the tarot, or I should say refound the tarot and started studying that um, in earnest. And through that, I came to astrology. And through that, I came back to witchcraft. I'd been a practicing witch for most of my youth. But at this point, I was in my 30s. And I had sort of let that practice die away because of this relationship. And so really, I used witchcraft and the practice of witchcraft as a way of building myself back up emotionally, uh, physically, spiritually, and, and, you know, pragmatically in, in the way that I earned money and all that sort of stuff. So at the same time, that I uh, was getting deeper into witchcraft, I left New York and moved to California. And, um, you know, everything started to kind of click. Uh, I wasn't called to write for the for Sabrina at first. In fact, I was the last writer in the room. Um, they had started in December of 2017. And I'd read about that like on Deadline, which is the news site that everyone in Hollywood reads. And I actually joke tweeted, you know, Sabrina made a big mistake by not hiring me. And then um, I got a call from my agent in March that they wanted to meet with me. And I, I, I guess what happened was that there were um, a bunch of writers around Hollywood independently of each other who, who recommended me to my boss, Roberto, like, hey, this guy knows a lot about witchcraft and horror and teen stuff. You should meet with him. And so I met with him. And um, the week prior to and the couple of days after when I was waiting to hear, I was doing all sorts of candle magic and meditation and like everything I could think to do to manifest this job. And, and luckily it worked. Um, so here I am. Was there like any period of time that it took for you to get used to writing for the the screen versus the stage? Because it had been what you were doing before. In fact, I I sort of feel like I would I don't want to say that I wasted my time writing plays, but I should have been writing movies and screenplays the whole time, really, because as a playwright, I had a really difficult time. I was really interested in genre and uh, magical realism. I'm a big horror and science fiction nerd. And there's just not a lot of room for that in the theater. The theater is very classist. Um, what's generally in style is like really quiet, naturalistic kind of plays. And so my road as a playwright was pretty difficult. And when I started writing for the screen, everything just kind of clicked. So it's been so easy for me in a weird way. I know that Hollywood is notoriously difficult you know, this is a difficult business to break into. But for some reason, it was just, for me, it was like, right this way, step right in. And it, and it was so much easier than theater. It was magic. It was, it was meant to be. It was, it meant was to magic. Be. Um, <laughs> I, I love that you're uh, that I love that as I was stalking you on the Internet for preparing for this interview, um, that I tumbled on to this idea that you were uh, you you loved horror and you love sci fi. And you just mentioned those two things. And those are my favorite things in the universe. Um, and so uh, I mean, how could you? Yeah. So how could that not be? so amazing and awesome and here you are writing something that kind of fuses both of those so how 
how was your relationship with Sabrina prior to you stepping on to the scene as a writer? Like, what did you have the 90s Sabrina, the TGIF Sabrina, or did you have the comic Sabrina? Or were you just like, who is the Sabrina lady? I had the comic Sabrina because I read Archie comics a lot as a kid on the you know, like on road trips and things like that. I was a touch too old for the 90s show. I was in high school when that was at its peak. So you know, it was a little immature for me. Um, and the truth is, I I don't really like the 90s show. But when I'd read that they were redoing it in this sort of like more dark, gothy, kind of Buffy or True Blood kind of tone, I was really excited. Because of course, I love stories about witchcraft. I love stories about teenagers. Um, and I love horror. So it's like a kismet, perfect job for me. So let's talk about the aesthetic, because um, this is something that I, I loved. And and part of it is that um, being a witch for a while now, I've I've gotten used to the idea that it's like no matter what we do or say when it comes to this idea that witches don't worship Satan, we do because that's the vocabulary that other people have to use. There Nothing fits outside of that. You could worship, you know, a, a candy cane and it would still be the devil because it isn't, you know, what this what these people do. So coming into this idea of being able to play with the aesthetic and the themes of some of these darker things. It reminded me of Dark Shadows. Me too. I'm so pleased that you said that. Oh my God, I'm, no one's ever brought that up to me, but I've I've made that comparison on podcasts and interviews before. I love Dark Shadows. In fact, it's always been my dream to redo Dark Shadows in like a really dark, earnest way, but I feel like Tim Burton kind of ruined that dream for me. <laughs> oh, Tim Burton. Yeah, no. Oh, oh that was the whole thing. Um, so, but you know, but this idea that we've got, um, well, let me take a step back here actually before I, I, I move on to too many questions here. W- the aesthetic itself. So, we're, we're, we're dealing with darker witches. We're dealing with, uh, there's a Baphomet statue in the school. And I obviously know that you have no control over set design and you have no control over those things. But I'm, I'm being in a room with other writers and Roberto's there at the head. And I mean, obviously, there was some sort of uh, skeleton that was kind of presented to you as writers. Do you feel that that's happening and that you've been able to achieve those things? Is there more of that that you'd like to see? We actually do have some control. Like in my, I wrote the exorcism episode in the first season. And like I wrote in the script that Harvey was wearing that crop top from Nightmare on Elm Street, for example. And some people on set were like, I don't understand this. And I was like, I promise you horror fans are going to catch it and they're going to love it. And I was right. Um, but we do have a woman named Lisa Sober, who is our production designer. She sort of is responsible for the aesthetic of the show. She deserves a million Emmys and she's a practicing pagan. She's been public about that. So um, she's just like a genius and a superstar. Is there was there any like I mean, because I know I read the backlash. So, uh, you know, I, I'm on the other side of this and I, I see it all in, in like two days. And then I go online and I see all of the backlash from people who are, you know, practitioners. They don't like the aesthetic. They don't like that Satan's everywhere. They don't like that. Da, 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 da. What was that like d- to deal with? I mean, from your end, you know, you're the artist. You you help create this thing. And then here comes somebody and they're like, that's not real witchcraft. Right. I find it a little silly if I'm being frank. First of all. Uh, so much so much of the response from the witchy community has been great and not to be too shady but i find the people that protest the much the most are the people who know the least um and i would say a couple of things first of all there the the figure of the witch has always been fact and fiction at the same time and they've both informed one another that's always been true so for example i am old enough to remember when the craft came out in the 90s and wiccans had all sorts of things to say about that movie but that movie brought entire generation of people to witchcraft, myself included. So at the end of the day, it did a service. The same thing can be said for Harry Potter. The same thing can be said for Bewitched, you know, any number of pop culture uh, representations of witches. So in a way, they're kind of like advertisements for witchcraft. After that, I would say that it's selective outrage because these people aren't offended by Hocus Pocus. They're not offended by Harry Potter. I, I don't know why the focus is on Sabrina, but it was really disappointing to see that. And then the the other thing I would say is like, you don't speak for all witches. No one does. It's 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 a broad swath. So I find it really infuriating when people presume to speak to what witches do or, or do not worship or what they do or do not do. It's like, you know what? Actually, plenty of witches do worship Satan. That's a fact, <laughs> you know? Right. And right. The, the very last thing I'll say is that 
our show isn't poking fun of witchcraft. We're uh, playing with the puritanical idea, idea of what witchcraft is. So if anything, we're trolling conservative Christians. And I would think that uh, savvy, smart pagans would understand that and, and, and just enjoy it for the kitsch value that it is, you know? I just find I find all the protestations so myopic and kind of facile and and really disappointing. Now, um, I, I know you can't talk about a lot of things because you have you have your job. And um, and I know that specifically, I guess what I want to get at is I know you can't talk about the court case and you can't talk about any of the weird things that happened. But was there an initial response when the when we had the um, the Satanic Temple um, respond to the show in the way that it did? Like, what was that like to have suddenly there's this organization and they're like, hey, wait a minute. What was that like from that creative point? Uh, in the writer's room, if I'm being honest, we kind of laughed it off a little bit. I have a lot of respect for the Satanic Temple. I think they do great work in the world. But to me, that was like a PR grab and a money grab. And we ended up settling out of court, I th- out, of, out of court, I think. But, you know, um, I, I like those guys. I didn't take it too seriously. It doesn't affect me very much. We were told that we weren't allowed to talk about it at the time, but it all got resolved. And, um, you know, I like those guys. And from my end, no hard feelings. You know, I'm glad they got whatever they got out of it. So <laughs> I feel like I'm being a jerk about it. I don't mean to be so glib. Um, no, no, not at all. I I, I just remember like being in the, the position of, of watching it all go down from the other side and thinking, wow, you know, that was so not the point. That was so not what was what was trying to be conveyed there. And and I remember thinking there were going to be a lot of people who kind of took an inch and ran a mile. And at the same time, I was wondering, like, that had to have been good for sales, essentially. I mean, to some extent, right? Yeah, I mean, I remember all of these stories on the internet about how Sabrina might be removed from Netflix. And so people, you know, had to watch it while they could because Sabrina might lose this lawsuit with the Satanic Temple. And honestly, I wondered if some of those stories weren't leaked by Netflix to get people to watch the show. You know, Um, Netflix is really smart about their marketing. So it kind of was PR in a weird way. Yeah. So does your witchcraft make its way into the pages? Um, I mean, I, I totally want to talk about episode six because there's there's all kinds of things there. Um, but as far as your experience as a witch, you, your magic, does any of that make its way into what you write? Uh, it does. For the most part, you know, we're referencing um, movies and, and literature, uh, specifically horror movies and literature. So we borrow more from the silver screen than we do from actual witchcraft traditions. But I write all of my own spells and rituals. Um, and so I've had a lot of practice at that. So when it came time to write the exorcism ritual, for example, I tried to write a ritual that if I were in their position, I I would do. Um, I also name checked my grandmothers in that ritual. My grandmothers were Francis and Priscilla, who are now um, canonized as Spellmans. Uh, so anytime, you know, we ended up, you know, we always have to write charms and spells and stuff like that. So whenever I'm responsible for that, I try to make it something that I would actually write for myself. Absolutely. Well, okay. So w- w- let's let's move on to episode six. Let's talk about it. So we're going to, to take a moment. There's a particular scene that we were just talking about, which is the exorcism that is done on Uncle Jesse. And um, just just take a listen. It's not working. Keep going. Energies are gathering. You can feel them. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. I call Cersei. I call Mal Dyer. Visit us, sisters. Sabrina, come forth! 
okay, so when I saw this scene with my boyfriends, I totally just like jumped up and I started screaming, that's real magic, that is real witchcraft, because it, it is something, so I mean, I'm a professional medium, I do house calls, I go in and deal with crazy shit like this, and it's it's so f- I have to tell you, I was like, I'm going to write this down and just take this with me just in case, because that's some real shit right there. And it has to be like the most beloved scene in that entire first season, at least from which kind. Um, What was it like working on that episode? It was uh, a little scary, honestly, because I was the last writer in the room. So uh, they were shooting episode five when I started. So I literally got assigned episode six two weeks after starting. So I don't know Roberto yet. I don't know the show yet, really. I don't know the actors or the other writers. So it was pretty intimidating. Luckily, the writer's room on our show is so wonderful um, and supportive. One thing that's interesting about our show is that there are no um, like cis heterosexual men. Everyone in the room is either a woman or a queer man. So it makes it feel really safe for me. Um, So that was really helpful. But it ended up being, you know, it was really intimidating, but it ended up being a really good experience. Our cast is really lovely. Um, our show is hard to shoot just because it's in Vancouver. We shoot 14 to 16 hours a day, six days a week, often overnight because it's a horror show. It's cold and you're in the woods and it can that part can be pretty miserable. But it was a great experience. So are you part of that process or is it like you're in a room and, and you don't get to interact with the, with the uh, actors? Most of the time you're in the writer's room in L.A., but um, on our show and on most shows, traditionally, um, you go to cover set for the episode that you wrote. So I was the producing writer on set in Vancouver for episode six. That's that's pretty amazing. Um, Okay, so in episode six, there's also this little thing that gets dropped. And this is going to kind of lead us to um, later on in the show, um, some of the fan theories about season two. But there's this little hint that is dropped um, when Madam Satan um, is is kind of explaining to Uncle Jesse that basically he's going to die now because, you know, this thing was done and that Sabrina has work to do. Basically, there's this prophecy. Are we going to get to touch the prophecy this season or is that going to be like a long term carrot, you think? Oh, no. The next part of the show is all about that prophecy and who Sabrina is and who her parents were. I can't spoil much, but I can say that by the end of the next part, all of the stories are wrapped up. All of the villains uh, have been neutralized in one way or another. So we go into the third part on a totally different footing. Yeah, I love that. I I, I freaking love that. Really? The next finale is very satisfying and very cool. It was really exciting to break that story with the room. One of the things I I will say that I did love because I read the comics and I read the the Chilling Adventures of Sabrina and having that I mean obviously you can't cover the same material in the same amount of time and 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 there really wasn't a whole lot in the comics as far as material went so there was this like degree of kind of liberty that the writers have with the show and taking what was done with the comics kind of further and obviously you've got roberto in the room do you feel that um that was limiting to have that like to have to kind of you know sum things up in that same kind of context as the comic or did you think or did you find it actually liberating to be able to jump in and then kind of expand that and it already existing universe well the comic book wasn't much of an albatross for us because most of the events of the comic book are covered in the first two episodes which roberto wrote himself before there even was a writer's room so by the time the room convened most of those plot points had been sort of taken care of in the first couple of episodes so we were starting from a fresh place more or less you're obviously a big horror fan and you mentioned that the writing team takes more inspiration from kind of Hollywood witches than necessarily real life traditions and things like that. What what were the Hollywood witches that were inspiring for you as you were writing this? Uh, certainly the craft, uh, Rosemary's Baby, the Satanists and that, um, the Conjure Wife, the novel, Lords of Salem. And it's not just witches either. I mean, there's ghosts. You know, you think of The Shining. We think of Freddy Krueger. He comes up a lot. Um, yeah, we're we're kind of borrowing from every which way. I love that. I absolutely love that. Um, because as a fan of horror, um, I, I, you know, the witch is the witch only gets to kind of do like two or three roles in horror. And I, I love that we have her 
you know, Sabrina playing at this, you know, one of the, well, let's talk about that too. <laughs> like all these things I want to talk about. Um, <laughs> the themes, I mean, the stuff that you cover are incredibly socially relevant. I mean, we've got themes about female empowerment, about um, consent. Consent is a huge, huge uh, topic throughout season one. Um, bullying is another topic. These are things that we're dealing with in real, real world culture. Um, and it's, I've always felt witchcraft gets to be kind of like the, you know, the playground for society to figure out its problems. And it's happening now just on this show. Are we, can we expect to see that same type of storyline in season two? Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's what our show is all about. These are our stories. You know, we're all um, women and queer people and people of color. And so um, we're channeling all of those issues through our story. And, you know, it's no coincidence that um, most switches are uh, disenfranchised people. They're people of color practicing um, their, you know, regional or traditional crafts. They're women, they're queer men. They're, you know, like, I don't know that many heterosexual, cis, white, male witches um and that's not a coincidence they're certainly out there for sure but but that's not the standard and there's a reason why that's not the standard they don't really need witchcraft maybe that's yeah now i I mean witchcraft in many ways is born from the need to bend the scales that we're dealing with in society to make it a little more equal and a little more fair and if you're you know a card carrying member of the patriarchy then you don't really necessarily need to worry about that you know you're a witch and you're you're a queer man and you are a member of this awesome team of writers i was looking up some of the people you're working with and talk about talent you're in this space creating something and you know that other queer people are watching this you know that there are other you know women watching this people who are have been put in those marginalized positions do you feel like you like you have a responsibility to those people or do you or, or is this really coming from just this is an authentic place these are our stories and they're they're kind of working their way out I think it's both. You know, I do feel a sense of ownership of these stories because I, I do live them and all of the writers do live them. But I also want to get it right. You know, I want to be of service to those communities. And um, so we talk about it in the room a lot. You know, in the first season, we got some backlash because um, there's a scene in episode four when Sabrina is being harrowed by the weird sisters. And then at the end of the episode, she kind of like hangs them. And a lot of people were upset because Tati Gabriel, who plays uh, Prudence, is a, a black woman. And so there's that image of a black woman being lynched. Um, from some people's perspective. And um, that was really hurtful to people. And the truth is that Tati didn't clock that. Our black director didn't clock that. No one in the room did. Many people who are queer or people of color, it kind of was just like a, just no one clocked it because we were telling a story about witches who were hanged. And so it's something that we should have seen and we didn't. So we we do feel a responsibility. We do want to get it right because we care about our story and our characters, but we also care about the people that are watching it. And I feel the same way about queer issues. And I feel the same way, frankly, about witchcraft. My my place as a practicing witch in the Sabrina room is really um, difficult in some ways. Um, I'm not the only witch in the writing staff, but there's, you know, we are the minority in the room. And I feel a responsibility to uh, be careful about the ways that witchcraft is represented. Now, I know that goes against everything that I said earlier, but like an example is sometimes voodoo will come up or Santeria or Brujaria. And I have to say like, hey, I'm not against us having these in the show, but just, so you know, like these are real traditions that millions of people practice around the world. And often the representations of them are really racist. So if we're going to do a story about it, let's tread very carefully and be really thoughtful about it. So we have a trans writer who tends to bring up that those kinds of issues around, you know, those kinds of um, warnings around trans stories. And, and, and we have a broad swath of representation in the room. And so we, we have really delicate, sensitive conversations basically every day about the way that we represent basically every disenfranchised groups. So, yeah, it's it's a complicated uh, thread to uh, needle to thread in a lot of ways. And, and that was one of the things that I, I was wondering is if you felt like because you are a real witch and you're on this sh- this fictional show that's about fictional witches, if you felt that you had anything to prove because of 
not just the representations, obviously, that are often kind of thrown about, but you're also dealing with an alternative representation of what witches are. So, I mean, you know, for me, I like I said, I loved the aesthetic. I, I love everything about the show. It's my type of witchcraft. It's my type of people. I would totally hang out with Aunt Zelda any day. Um, it's, But it's that question of like... Do you have to reconcile anything at the end of the day? Do you have to do you feel like you have to go and improve something to the other writers? I don't know that I have to feel like I have to prove anything, but I will say that it's a little tricky because um, even though I am a practicing witch on a show about witches, as we've talked about, it's not a show that borrows that much from rural witchcraft traditions. So in a lot of ways, weirdly, my being a witch is not relevant um, because you know, we're not writing about my personal spiritual path, um, which is not to say that I don't feel the need to navigate conversations that I think are going in harmful uh, to witches sort of territory. But the the more striking thing is how hard it's been on a personal level, because I'm not I'm not a public I'm not a professional witch like you are, or like Pam Grossman is or a, a lot of people out there. This is my private spiritual uh, path. And if you look at my Instagram, my Twitter, there's not that much about my spirituality on there because it's it's private to me. And so it's been hard to navigate that publicly. So on one hand, I'm really happy to do these podcasts and to connect with other practitioners. But on the other, it's scary because what if I accidentally brand myself as like the witch writer and then I never get to write about anything else ever again? So it's been it's been really tricky. And, and it's been really wonderful to be more public about it, to talk about it and to do all that. But it's also it comes with like a shadow side that I have to navigate as well, as well as like being seen as a weirdo among people that aren't witches on the show or or being, um, you know, having people in the witchy communities attack the show. You know, it's like it's just very, very fraught and complicated to navigate. I have I have a few friends in Hollywood and a few clients, and I know that there are uh, there's actually a, a bunch of witches um, and occultists in Hollywood, but there is such a stigma to deal with. There is still a lot of that, you know, kind of outsiders looking at you and wanting to typecast you, wanting to put you into a niche. So speaking of those things and being uh, open about them is is it's kind of it's at least in the past it's been a death sentence for people's careers um and obviously you know that was back in the 90s the 80s the 90s so we're in a different era now and and at least you get to write topically um which is a good thing um but i i was i was wondering about that if you if you worried about carrying the the stigma of writing for a witch show because everything ends i mean there's 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 got and you've done incredible work i mean the a series of unfortunate events was amazing so you know you've you're doing really great work um but i were i mean are you worried about it following you yeah i'm definitely worried about it and at the same time that i was starting to work on sabrina i uh was also writing a graphic novel about teenage witches just like happened to be writing that so that's um gonna come out in a year or so so i i love writing about teenage witches. Um, I was a teenage witch, you know, it's something, it's definitely something that I care about and love, but I don't know that I want to do it forever. And, you know, there's a writer on the show who, uh, is a practitioner and she lives in Salem and she's written for like every witch show and she loves that. And that's her career. And that's, that's great for her, but I'm not sure that that's what I want for myself. What if I want to write a rom-com in two years? Or, you know, um, a serious indie drama. Like, am I going to be allowed to do those things if everyone in Hollywood thinks of me as the real witch? Um, so it's it's a little tricky. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, I know a spell. I'll, I'll totally send it to you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, so let's talk about um, some of the characters, because you've got some amazing actors that you get to work with. Um, and I, I mean, the, first of all. That you got Kiernan Shipka to play Sabrina is like phenomenal. I mean, just to be able to work with her because where she's at in her life and in her career, um, she just was like the perfect pick. When it was announced that she was going to be Sabrina, I was like, hands down, this is this is the show that we're all going to have to watch. Um, do you have a favorite character to write? Yeah, I think I like writing for Zelda a lot. Um, She's so severe and glamorous, and that's kind of a sweet spot for me. I'm really good at writing complicated, quote-unquote, unlikable women. 
Um, so she's like a real treat. And I find her so hysterical. I don't know that Miranda always realizes that her character is funny, but I think she's hilarious. I, I love writing for her. And I feel like she's undervalued. I, you know, it's so easy to love Auntie Hilda. And you know, Lucy Davis is amazing. And I, and I love her. But it's sort of like Game of Thrones. Like all the people who love Arya and not Sansa really get under my skin. Right. Because Sansa has the most <laughs> character growth and, and, you know, is, is the more interesting right. character in my mind. Absolutely. No, absolutely. Um, do you. OK, so is there something about Aunt Zelda that you, you know, be, and, I, and I'm not saying this from like, a, oh, spill the secrets, but you've been inside Zelda's mind. You are writing from, you know, her perspective. And so you obviously have an intimate connection to the character. Um do you is there something about Aunt Zelda that we should know or like, you know, a character a, a part that you've picked up in your work? I, I would assume to some degree you've you've probably I don't know, I, I guess I kind of look at these characters like they're spirits almost and that you just kind of tune in and, and channel the spirit when you're writing because um, that's kind of how it works when I write. Um, and so I was wondering, yeah, like, that's exactly like that. OK, so are there insights about like Aunt Zelda that that maybe you could share? I was talking to Miranda Otto, who plays Zelda, about how I thought Zelda was a Capricorn. Because I'm a Capricorn. Yes, she's totally a Capricorn. <laughs> totally. So in, in a weird way, I'm a traditionalist. I work very hard. Things are to be done a certain way. Um, you take the path that is laid out for you. And for doing that well, you are rewarded. Um, when it comes to the people, the few people that I'm loyal to, I, I am ruthlessly protective. And I'm also so ambitious in my career that I'll do just about anything to get to where I want to go. And so I just relate to her and I care about her. And I like that she doesn't give a shit what anyone thinks in a weird way, even though she's this traditionalist and she's like uh, a devout member of uh, the, the church of, of night. Um, she, she's willing to do whatever it takes to get the things that she wants and to protect the people that she loves. And um, she's just so savvy. She's playing the game of Thrones really well. And I respect that. Totally. Yeah. Especially there at the end of season one, the the surprise baby. That was, uh, yeah, that was, that was, that was great. I'm looking forward to seeing how that works out. Hey there, thanks for listening to The Modern Witch. I just want to take a moment and talk to you about some of the incredible things we have going on over at the Mystic Dream Academy, namely Black Rose Witchcraft. Storm, Chaz, and myself have created this online training program that fuses the best of modern traditional witchcraft, folk magic, American conjure, and psychic development into one system that is accessible to everyone. Right now, Black Rose has over 300 members and a growing body of initiates. That means the forums are full, there are loads of people who are learning at the same pace as you, and there is a nice backlog of additional content. Our Book of Shadows comes in two versions, an easy-to-print black and white, and a full-color illustrated PDF that I designed personally. I spent years looking for a coven and tradition that was a good fit for my lifestyle and that wasn't full of a bunch of strings that were attached to everything. With Black Rose, you know our expectations and we know yours. Visit us online at blackrosewitchcraft.com for more info. Now back to the show. What do you think about the relationship that Aunt Zelda and Aunt Hilda have? Because it's there's a codependency thing going on. I mean, they've been sharing a room up until one point. And I, I mean, you know, us looking at him on screen, we can obviously tell there's 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 something not quite normal about their relationship. What do you think about that? I think there's like a Cain and Abel kind of quality to it. Um, I think obviously they're codependent. I think they love each other ferociously and it's sort of tragic that they've allowed themselves to fall into these roles. Um, you know, Hilda's a badass, powerful witch, and yet she often lets herself be overshadowed. Now we undo a lot of these things in the episodes that are to come. Um, but yeah, I find it um, sort of tragic. Yeah. So the addition of Ambrose was a surprise for a lot of people. And I think probably because they weren't uh, familiar with the original Archie comics and he makes this interesting kind of appearance. Um, but when we get him in this version of Sabrina, he is a little different from what I think a lot of people are expecting. I was super happy that we have a, a really incredibly attractive queer guy on TV playing this character. Um, that made me happy. And I, and it was to see his story kind of unfold. I mean, again, some of us are familiar with, um, I, I think 
in the 90s version of Sabrina, Ambrose's story and Salem's story got conflated. So there was this this thing that had to happen where, if I remember correctly, Salem was punished by the Witches Council to be a cat. And so because he tried to take over the world. Um, but that was actually not his specific storyline. That was part of Ambrose's storyline. Having Ambrose in the mix of things, what is it like to write a, you know, for a strong queer character? Oh, he's the best. And he's great. I mean, the actor is wonderful. The character is a fan favorite. He's when we were testing the show, he was everyone's favorite character. And he's really charming. I, I think the thing about Ambrose is that he's our Salem because we don't have a talking Salem on our show. Um, he kind of takes that those characteristics. And I think that um, the character of Sabrina needs that counterpart whether it's Salem or Ambrose, um, he, he has to be there. It's like when they added Elaine to Seinfeld and it made the the show click. Do you know that story? Like that Elaine wasn't in the pilot and everyone hated it. And then they added her and it just like all clicked. That's kind of how Ambrose is. And I know that people, there are people out there like it or not, who wants Salem to talk. And it's like the bane of my existence, but it, a talking cat on our show, it just isn't, um, it doesn't work in our aesthetic. And so we had to give that to somebody else and that's Ambrose. So we often hear stories about magical things happening when there is a magical production. Like we also hear like things happening on sets of of shows and movies. Has there been anything like that that's happened with Sabrina? My being here is magic. I feel like my placement in the writer's room is divine. And that, that's why I don't feel insecure about my actual the performance of my actual job. I know that I'm supposed to be there. I know that it's my it's my divine right to be in that room amongst those writers. Um I don't know. I mean, in the cast, one of the I won't say who because I don't know if she wants to be public about it, but there um, she's not a witch, but she's a healer um, and she does that on the side. And um, so that's pretty interesting. It's it's interesting to, to talk to people about their relationship to magic and witchcraft and to find that more often than not people have some sort of relationship to it. That's not just like I like movies about witches or whatever um yeah i don't know if that's an answer or not no absolutely uh, yeah. okay <laughs> no thank you <laughs> i know i'm like i'm asking you about things I'm like well i can't really say a bunch of stuff um okay so speaking of things you can't say a bunch about um we have some theories about <laughs> season two and obviously season two's already happened we're about to see it um everything's already written and these are just theories and so i just want to hear your opinion on the theories and um as we get through them, you know, we can laugh it off or you can just say move on. And that'll be the clue that we should pay attention to that one. Um, OK, so uh, the first the first uh, fan theory is that Ambrose will be asked to betray his family or Luke, which is the his boyfriend at the end of the uh, season one um, for a chance of at restored freedom. Mm, that's partially right. Um, but move on. Okay. <laughs> Not entirely right. Okay. But it's close right. to right. So this is, this one's totally coming from the, the people who want a Riverdale, uh, Sabrina crossover. So, uh, the Greendale coven and the Riverdale coven will join forces in a crossover of some kind, um, to nope. take on the dark. Uh-huh. No, the there's dark no Lord. crossover. Coming. Nope. Okay. Are we ever going to get to see the Greendale coven? Do you uh, think? Well, what do you mean? The whole, whole show is about the Greendale coven. One of the Greendale. I'm sorry. My bad. Uh, Riverdale. Coven. Riverdale coven. Yeah. Oh, um, well the thing, maybe, um, it's not in the plans right now, but the, the, everyone wants to do a crossover. It's not a creative decision. It's just a logistical thing because we're on different networks. And so it makes it incredibly difficult to borrow those actors or, or vice versa. So, you know, and, we would love to do a crossover. There's just none planned because it's so damn tough. Right, right, absolutely. Um, in one of the kind of offshoot uh, comics, we which is the afterlife of Archie, um, Sabrina resurrects Jughead's dog and ends up causing basically the zombie apocalypse. And so the the fans are chomping at the bit for this to be something that ends up happening in season two. Mm-mm, nope. Mm-mm. Okay. <laughs> are we are we ever going to see more zombies? Or well, we didn't really see zombies we saw necessarily. Tommy. Um, not in any of the current plans, but maybe someday. 
I'm not sure. Uh, Nick Scratch is actually Satan in disguise and is secretly there to lead Sabrina closer to the Dark Lord's plan. Um, that's not quite right, but it's like in the neighborhood. And so I have to say move on. OK. All right. Uh, Edward Spellman is still alive and Sabrina is going to find him. Uh, no. OK. Uh, just two more. So uh, these two happen to be my favorite. And that is that uh, Dr. Cerberus and Aunt Hilda are going to enter into a forbidden love affair uh, because he's obviously a werewolf and the Church of Night will have to intervene. And then Sabrina, of course, being the radical, awesome person who just wants to you know, be the victor for love is going to have to come in and do her thing. Uh, some of that is right. Of course, they enter into a relationship. You've seen that. Um, he's actually not a werewolf, but I'm not going to spoil it. Oh, he is. OK. Um, and there is there are objections to the relationship, but um, I don't think that there's like a big uh, I don't think it's like a huge story that takes up a whole episode at any point. OK. And the last one, Sabrina. This is my favorite. Sabrina will discover that her witch power doesn't actually come from the Dark Lord, but that she is totally into she's a totally independent woman who has only been led to believe that her power comes from a man. Ooh, that's interesting. There is a secret about the source of Sabrina's power uh, that is revealed in the next part. And it is true that her power does not come from the same place as other witches, but that theory is not okay. correct. All right. So, in, okay. So uh, thank you so much. I, I think you just gave so much candy for people to <laughs> chew on. Um, so in season two, we actually get 16 episodes is what I was reading, which is six more than you had for season one. So are those six extra episodes? Is that like a boon or is that like, oh shit, we've got six more episodes we have to fill out? Oh, so, okay. A point of distinction our show's a little bit different. So our our season one is 20 episodes. So what you're talking about as season two that comes out in April is actually season one, part two. Lovely. So, so season two is the 16 episodes. We actually have four less than we did for season one, if that makes sense. Oh, okay. Was that a good thing or a bad thing? It's a good thing in terms of storytelling because 20 episodes is a lot. I mean, we'll get to tell a tighter story. Of course, there are fewer episodes. We all earn less money and stuff like that. But um, but it's easier to fill those episodes well, you know, and not have any filler, I guess. So what's next for you? I, I mean, obviously, we've got uh, hopefully, you know, way more Sabrina coming down the pipeline. But other than that, what are you working on? I'm just starting to work on new projects. I wrote a horror film uh, that's signed that's set up at Miramax. And so hopefully that gets made. I'm still working on that a little bit. Um, I'm pretty far down the path on that. And then I'm just trying to write um, some new pilots and, and screenplays. Um, Sabrina is going to go for a lot longer, I think. And so that's my day job and there's very little time left. Um, I am thinking about starting a podcast. I'll say that, uh, just, just living, you know, practicing writing. Um, but nothing besides that horror film that is like very far down the path at this moment. I, I, I really have to tell you the, the writing on the show is phenomenal. And, um, everyone's favorite episode from, from the first part of season one was episode six. It, it, I mean, seriously, everywhere we go, that's the first thing we, that comes up in discussion when we start talking about the chilling adventures of Sabrina. So you've done a kick-ass job and, um, you're making, you're making many a witch feel very represented and feel very heard. And, uh, I have to tell you, you know, whatever crazy backlash or shit you're hearing, most people are, are are really happy. The people who listen to my show, they love you. They love what you're writing. They love the the actors on the show. They love what's what's happening with it. And, you know, for a lot of these people, they're taking 90s Sabrina with them into this. And to, to for them to be comfortable, that's a big deal, I think. So I got you have to take props, man. You really do. And and please, you know, share that with the rest of the team because it's a really incredible show. And I'm, I'm looking forward to part two coming out in April, actually just a few days. Is there anything that we should keep an eye open for with this this last part of the season? I guess what I'll say is it's like the reverse. It's the reverse of the first part. So the first part, Sabrina was in the mortal world, dipping her toes in the witch world. Now she's fully in the witch world and she's struggling to maintain her toehold with her mortal friends in the mortal world. So it's like the, the re- actual reverse of the previous part. I can't wait. I can't yeah. wait. Joshua, thank you so much for taking time to come on the show. Um, I'm looking forward to what comes next. Thank you. It's such a pleasure. And we'll be right back after this break. With 25 years in service, the Mystic Dream is today's premier marketplace for all your spiritual supplies. 
Join us at our Walnut Creek location nestled in the San Francisco Bay Area of California or online for a state-of-the-art shopping experience. The Mystic Dream offers a wide selection of candles, statues, jewelry, crystals, books, tarot and oracle cards, as well as conjure, root work, and witchcraft supplies. Join us online at www.themysticdream.com. The Mystic Dream, where ancient wisdom meets the new aeon. Well, that is it for this week. Thank you to Joshua Kunkel for taking the time to come on the Modern Witch Podcast. It was a really fun interview, and I hope to get him back on later on to uh, talk about the other seasons of The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. Um, if you are interested in more shows, you can check out modernwitchpodcast.com, where there is the entire backlog. Uh, you can also find me online on the tweets and Instagram at Mr. Devin Hunter. Thanks so much for tuning in this week. Once again, I'm Devin Hunter, and this was the Modern Witch Podcast.